0: Action Park Media. He was arrested today in Whatcom County trying to get back into the United States in uh, western Washington. We've been told by his lawyer that he was in Canada and would be coming back to the U.S. to turn himself into Texas authorities by Thursday to face charges. Never got the chance, though. He was arrested by customs agents and border patrol guards uh, as he was coming into the U.S. He moved in here and he went to work on a farm, which was great, a lot of hard, heavy labor, never having worked like that before. Happy to be doing something. We, we intend for him to answer to the charges in Texas because we believe that he has violated the terms and conditions of his probation. You're now listening to Bust, the Ryan Leaf story. Once I test positive, my PO really has two options. He can revoke my probation and take me to jail. And then my suspended sentence would then be under review and I have a chance to go to jail. Or he could give me a break and write it up as a positive test and you know move forward with essential probation while on probation. He chose the latter. I expressed that I would go to treatment. And all of you listening out there, this will be the first time I've ever talked about this. I've been pretty transparent about everything, but there was a time during this span where I was contracted to write books. I was speaking about my recovery, and I was now in a situation where I needed to figure out a way to get out of this trouble that seemingly I was in because of me relapsing and I told him I would go to treatment and we found a treatment facility just down the road in my home state of Montana we did it really on the low down no one really knew about it except my family and I jumped right in and like I told you before I'm really good at treatment like I excel at being in treatment I'm good at it Like I can follow directions, I'm cordial, I'm respectful, and when I'm not consumed by a substance, like the best possible version of me comes out. And that's exactly what played out, right? I do remember leading up to getting into the facility like the Monday after that weekend and just having no pills and being in withdrawal and I went to my general physician and I was honest with him. It's like the first time I think I've ever been honest with a doctor of mine. And I went in and said, I'm a fucking mess on these pills. Um, I'm going through withdrawal. I'm going into treatment on Monday. I need some help getting through this weekend. I put him in a very uncomfortable position as my physician, pretty much asking him to be my drug dealer. And luckily he, he acquiesced and, and he wrote me a prescription for like 30 pills and it did. It got me through the next couple days, but I, I, again, because of the fear and anxiety around it all and traveling with your parents as a 30 some year old failure, I, I took too many as I have in the past because I, I just don't want to feel anything. And they kind of took me out to a last supper when we went to Red Lobster. And I don't remember any of it, but they told me the story, of course months later after I had gotten out of treatment. But they said the mess that I made of just destroying crab legs and lobster and just butter in my face. It was like taking your toddler out to, to dinner, I do believe is the best way to put it. I, I was just a mess. And and I went and I jumped all in and I, and I got sober. I, once again, we didn't tell anybody. I was so fearful of people knowing that I relapsed And the whole thing was just a a show in the eyes of others because I had lied about a lot of things. So we kept it to ourselves and we just kind of went on about our business. We knew immediately when I got home, I had to move out of mom and dad's house. That was not a healthy alternative for me. My self-esteem was just being pounded daily. Having mom cook me breakfast. My dad like check on my finances. I mean, it was incredibly strange. There was a terrible codependency with it. So I found my own place. It was nothing special, but it was mine. And away I went in recovery once again. And it was going good. It was going really good. But I found myself waking up feeling hung over, like really foggy headed without, you know, the partying that came the night before. And I didn't quite know what that was. I brought in somebody to check whether or not there was a gas leak and there was carbon monoxide leak in the house or something like that. And so I went and saw my physician. And at first he thought maybe it was like vertigo or something like that. So he prescribed me a nausea medication, but it just progressively got worse. I was down in Phoenix with my college roommate, uh, emceeing an event for his, his local gymnasiums. And everybody was watching me walk to the stage as well as away from the stage. And I looked like I was a snake slithering. I was just going back and forth in, a, in an uneven pattern and not realizing I was doing it. And so they said, what's going on? And I, 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 I didn't understand what they were saying because of course I couldn't feel myself walking that way. But the fogginess had progressively got worse. I was nauseous and, and sick and when i got home i went and saw the doctor and we went in for an mri i got the phone call from him and he said that you have a brain tumor on your brain stem and it was about the size of a golf ball this mass for me science is especially around medicine i'm just like okay that's a diagnosis how do i treat it oh I go see a neurosurgeon. They remove it. That's what's next. Now, of course, my family flipped out, as they always have. Like, everything's the end-all, be-all, or the end of the world when stuff like that happens. And I'm just like, okay, just we find the doctor to fix it, and we go get it fixed. That's how it always been when it came to uh, orthopedic problems or anything like that. This is just how it worked. And so, you know, we went down and saw this neurologist, and she got me in with this expert. And... Before I knew it, I was admitted. Like I was in the hospital the next day. I was diagnosed with this brain tumor on like May 16th. And by May 26th, I was in emergency surgery down in Los Angeles. And the surgery took like 14 hours. They weren't able to remove the entirety of the mass on my brainstem because it was intertwined in my brainstem. And I remember waking up and thinking, okay, I mean, everything's going to be okay. I feel good. We went through the process pretty pretty well without pain medication. There was a little bit used while I was admitted, but I was honest with my physician, the surgeon, they understood. First time I'd never really been transparent with those guys at all. And I walked out of there ultimately in a good place. Now, I was told that because of the residual mass on my brain, I would have to come back and do radiation to remove it all. So that was something on the horizon that was was going to come. But now the summer was here. I was feeling better. We felt really grateful and thankful that I had gotten past this process. And now I was walking into what I thought was a good thing. And it was the release of my book. But in reality, it was the worst possible thing I could do because I I was not ready to be out in the public eye again. Talking about my failures, how I overcame them because I was still just too fresh in not only my recovery, but having not let go of a lot of those resentments. And sure enough, when you write a book, the biggest part of writing that book is the process of promoting it and having to go out on the road and talk about it. And as it drew closer and closer and closer, my unwillingness to continue to go to meetings, use a sponsor, work recovery, you fall back into exactly the person that you are. And sure enough, I went and did a couple interviews, and of course, the word bust was brought up and continued to be brought up, and my failures as a football player, my failures as a human being around my addiction, I didn't view it as purposeful, I viewed it as an obligation. So. I don't know where I was introduced uh, back to any sort of medication. I hadn't started the radiation yet. But for those first few months with the book tour, I think I started ordering them through the mail again. And I remember going out to ESPN and spending the day in Bristol doing what we call the car wash, where you just show up and you go from show to show to show to show and just, in my case that day, lie to everybody. Say all the right things, but knowing that once I got back to the hotel, I had a FedEx package waiting for me at the concierge with pills that I had ordered from Florida. And it wasn't a daily thing, but it was what got me through it. Not knowing that once I got down to Los Angeles to go through the radiation process, that I would be introduced to it once again in the form of being sick, right? having my head irradiated and becoming sick, losing my hair, feeling achy, all those things that anybody who goes through any sort of cancerous treatment. And when the doctor saw me struggling, he came in and offered me some medication to help me through it. And one of them was a opiate painkiller. And I didn't tell him that I had a past. I didn't express to him. I was exhibiting Very significant drug seeking behavior. And once I had it, I think I was prescribed around December 1st, 2011. By March 30th, 2012, I was in a jail cell. What transpired over those four months was the complete and utter dismantling of everything and anything that I had put in place. In my recovery, in my redemption, in my relationships, all of it, those four months, I assume that everybody that got this medication when they were going through something like this, while you're going through radiation, deserved it, but I'm not like everybody else. I'm a junkie, and so I can't just take one, not even one, because then I reach for that feeling of not feeling anything And I search and seek it out. And that's what I would do over the next four months. To the point of going to open houses in my hometown, pretending I was interested in buying the home, going through the medicine cabinets, continuing to order them through the mail online. And ultimately, you know, being on the outskirts of town, which is exactly what got me in trouble the last time or on the radar of the police... essentially breaking into their homes to find these now the ends justified the means in all of it all of it right i had all this guilt and i had all this shame around what i was doing but soon as i found them and soon as they were in my hand like all that went away that's the psychology of these things it just dominates your brain as soon as they were in my hand not even in my system i felt relief And that's what I was searching for, because I I knew it when I looked in the mirror every night. I saw myself, and I, I knew it, and I was honest with myself. The only person I was honest with, I said, you are a fucking junkie. God, I need help. Somebody please help me. But I wouldn't tell anybody else. I just knew that this was the answer for me. And I was so unique, no one could fully understand what I'm going through. And for whatever reason, I just, I didn't see an outcome coming that was more negative than the feeling of, feeling the failure, the pain, the anger, the judgment, all of that stuff. There was no consequence that could have eliminated that from me, or at least I thought that. And so, you know, many of those nights where I was clamoring for somebody to help me and I didn't see any help in sight, my higher power, whatever that is, finally just said, Dude, you don't get it. I've tried to help you so many times along the way. So, I'm simply going to send the sheriff's department to help save your life. And that's what happened. I didn't sense anything. I didn't know it was coming at all. I thought I was I thought I was great. I found a a way to order them online. I could sense the impending doom around the money, right? At some point, I wasn't going to have any money to be able to pay for these things that were coming to me. And I was really stingy, right? I wouldn't pay the so-called doctor sending the pills my way. I'd wait for them to get and make them COD so I knew they were actually there in my hand before I would dish over the cash. right? I wasn't just going to hand out a credit card number and, and hope that they don't screw me over and send me bad stuff or fraudulent things and things like that. Well, apparently, in my local community, the average person gets maybe one or two COD parcels of mail a year, if ever I was getting two COD packages a week. And my little mailman went and ratted me out, like went to the drug task force behind the scenes and said, Hey, I'm delivering these packages to Brian leaf. And they, it sounds like there's pills in them. Now I didn't buy that shit from them at all because they were vacuum sealed they never made the rattling noise of pills. I just, I think, just the the uneasiness of this guy getting COD packages twice a week and being very adamant about, you know, being around and make sure that, you know, they don't get lost or anything. So he told them, and my parole officer calls me in again, similar to about a year before, where I was going to be questioned by a couple of local detectives. This time it was the the local area's drug task force, and they inquired about these these things I was receiving in the mail. And of course, you know, my initial reaction is to, you know, lie my ass up. No, they're vitamins. I've been sick. I don't know. I have a brain tumor. I don't know if you guys have known that or not. I'm really sick. And these are vitamins to help me. You know, of course, I'm playing the poor me line and everything like that. And I continue to try to talk my way out of it. And because I'm on probation, there's no recourse against me being searched or my proper being searched at any time. And the day before I had gone to a friend's house and acted like I was there to see them and drop off a book, they weren't home, but I knew where they had some pills. And I just kind of forced my way in with the maid there, went back into the bathroom, grabbed them, and just kind of ran out really problematically. Like somebody was up to something, some mischief or whatever. And I get a phone call from that friend and her husband and they were her husband's pills. And he's like, dude, I know you took my, my stuff. You need to get them back to me. Like he wasn't going to cops or anything like that. He was like, and I think he had a little bit of an issue with with pain pills because he was really over the top about it, right? Like I need those. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I I fucking took them already. Like I, I took them already. As soon as they were in my hand, I wanted them in my body. So this was like, this was completely off subject out of the way to when I got called the next day by this drug task force and asked to come in. They don't even know about the fact that I did this the day before. But they go and search my home, my truck. I just so happened to have my golf clubs in my truck. It's where I would always put my pills. My dad and I were about to drive down to another city to do a a book signing. Again, just the utter facade of who I was to the public was on full display. And they found the pill bottle of the guy that I had taken the pills from the day before. So immediately now, I'm in possession of a controlled substance that's not mine. And they would then, my PO would then test me. And I, of course, came up positive because I've been slamming pills for the last three months. And I remember as they were about to arrest me, calling my mom, because I was supposed to go meet my dad so we can drive to do this thing, and me telling my mom that, hey, they're, you know, I've been using again, Uh, they're going to arrest me. And I remember her exact words in that moment. And it was like, Good. good. And it was that kind of response. Good. It's about fucking time that I was held accountable for the shit that I had drugged this family through. And I was taken into custody, and I was taken to jail and charged with, I think, possession of a controlled substance. And now they had an avenue to go talk to this person who I'd stolen the pills from about pressing charges on a on a burglary charge too. And I can't remember if they charged me with burglary at the time or if that came after, but I immediately sought out a bondsman to bond out like I I was so fearful of not only being in jail but also not having Pills, because not having them meant I was gonna have to feel everything, and the oncoming withdrawal that came from them. But I was gonna have to feel all these, these feelings of, of all the things I've been trying to numb myself from forever. And I convinced this bondsman to bond me out. Somehow, I didn't have any money. I wrote him a, a bad check, but I needed to get out. And my mindset was all right: get out, get as many pills as you can, and ride this until the wheels fall off. And I wasn't prepared for once again, when I fuck up, it becomes national news and it hit the wire pretty much immediately when I walked out and all the people I had been working with, uh, the nonsense that I'd been spewing out of my mouth over the last few months around recovery and changed man and all those things just hit the fan and the police had seized my medication. So I was without and I was so scared and going through not only the physical withdrawals but i really feel like the psychological withdrawals of, of opiates is huge because i wasn't necessarily having the physical symptoms but like the the mental torment of do i have pills and if i don't how do i get them i can't express that to you listening how how that rips you apart like i can't like restless leg syndrome my legs won't stop moving i'm in just I need my fix like I'm a junkie I'm a flat-out fucking junkie and the only way I know how to do that is to medicate myself and if I can't be medicated what did I want to be I wanted to be gone I wanted to be dead of course it hit the news my family is dealing with it the shame in this small town once again where I'm supposed to be the hero having to care for my grandparents because their eldest grandson tarnished the family name and fucked up again My brother flew from Southern California to essentially take care of his brother. And he just kind of hovered over me over the weekend there, making sure I was okay, but also like being guard that I don't go do something stupid. I was looking up ways on Google how to kill yourself. I took a knife into the bathroom. Turned on the water like I was going to take a shower and tried to slip my wrists. And like I did it the right way, right? I did from the base of my wrist up my forearm. That's, you know, to, to get as many arteries as possible. The knife was too dull. It made a significant, you know, cut and it bled quite a bit but it wasn't deep enough to do the job. And I got in the shower to clean things off the best I could, but of course I didn't get everything. There were still blood stains on the the towels and around the, the bathroom. And I came out and my brother was asking what's going on. And I didn't, I said, I'm fine. I said, let's go get some food. And, uh, but well, I was just trying to fa- find a way to lose him. And I we get out the car and and I, I said something to him like, oh, I forgot the keys. Can you grab them? And he went back into the house, but I had the keys. I got in the car and I peeled out and got out of there as fast as I could. I was going to go to my mom and dad's house because I knew they were gone. They were supposedly down the road taking care of my grandparents again because they're, like I said, their eldest grandson had, Shamed the family and the name and embarrassed everybody again. And I was just going to park in their garage and close the garage door and do it that way. If I couldn't be high and not feel anything, then I wanted to be dead. That was the real feeling. It's such an impulsive one. Like it's like the instant satisfaction model of our generation The suicide rate because of impulsive acts, I was right there. I was in that moment. And I pulled up to my parents' property, and for whatever reason, they were home. They weren't supposed to be, and I wasn't able to do it. The selfish act of what that would have looked like, because they would have been the ones to find me. Having a child kill themselves, A, would be the worst possible thing in the world. The fact that you would find them, would have been a hundred times worse, in my opinion. And it's the, the, the act is so selfish, but on top of it all, the act of my part in that moment would have been awful. So I spun out and went back out to a house that, on the outskirts that I knew had pills. I walked in. Sure enough, I found some. But this time on my way out, the homeowner's car pulled up in the drive. Now, I don't look like... You're a run-of-the-mill burglar, right? I'm in a slacks and a pea coat and loafers, and I look put, put together, and I, of course, talked my way out of it to the family. I said, oh, I'm looking for this address, this is that, this, that, and the other. Uh, they helped me. Oh, it's more this way. I get in my car, and all the fear of, like, not having the pills, the fear of wanting to be dead, it's gone because I have them in my hand. I got no way. I'm going to go home now. And for whatever the length that these pills last, whether it's three, four, five hours, I don't have to feel any of it or anything. And that's what happened. Now, unbeknownst to me, while I'm at home taking those pills, my brother finally being able to exhale because he's found his brother after he walked into a bathroom and saw blood Stained on the towels and around the bathroom. He knew that I was not of sound mind at all. The fear of that. I got back. He didn't care where I was, what I was doing. He just knew I was home and I was safe. He took the pills. It sedated me. I went into bed. I fell asleep. Slept for a few hours. My brother had to make calming phone calls to the family. All the, all the things that that brothers shouldn't be doing, especially your younger brothers but while i was sleeping unbeknownst to me right the family realized something was off they looked around the house and at first they were they thought they were missing a expensive drill that they had i don't know why that spurred the uh, the call to the police but upon further review they also found that some medication was missing the police brought out a photo lineup i'm incredibly easy to identify the six foot seven 250 pound guy with the big teeth. Yeah, Ryan Leaf who we've known our whole lives. Yeah, that guy. And about 11 o'clock at night the police showed up at the house. I was incredibly high. I must have been spouting off because my brother had called my dad and now my brother and my dad are outside as the police show up to the house to arrest me for the second time in about 48 hours. Charged me with burglary in front of my father, in front of my brother. I think they were relieved knowing that I was going to be locked up and that I couldn't do something to harm myself or harm others. So there was some relief there, but it was one of the most difficult things my father ever had to do was to watch his son get arrested like that. And in the mindset that I was in, the, the frame of mind I was in, just stoned out of my gore. But I had pills in my pocket when I was arrested. I was so worried about them finding more pills like that they could charge me again. Like I was already going to be charged with multiple felonies. But my mind was like telling me, gotta get rid of those pills. Gotta get rid of those pills. Somehow I finagled my handcuffs behind me around in my front pocket. And I was able to pull those pills out of my pocket. I can't remember how many there were. I, I was probably hoping there was so many of them that it would end the job. And I got them into my mouth and swallowed them. Now, they had to take me to the emergency room to be checked out before they could take me to be booked. And I, I can't imagine how I was to the doctor or anything I like got uh, I was brought in. Uh, I was told later, of course, that I was just out of it. What's funny is they didn't do anything about it. Like, I was sitting out on the chairs or whatever before I was handcuffed and booked and everything like that. Like, my back was bent over the side just because I was so sedated. Because of the amount of pills I took, Uh, my mugshot, oh my God, my mugshot is eyes going in different directions, just fucking hammered. When I saw the Tiger Woods mugshot years later and I saw his eyes going the exact same way, I, I knew exactly what the guy was on because I'd seen that picture before. The sheriff's deputies told me the stories from that night that when they had me up at the fingerprint machine, it's like a podium and I kept putting my hands on the side like it was a lectern and I was speaking to people and I just started giving like a lecture talk they told me, while they are trying to do my fingerprints then some of the things I was saying when must have been so ludicrous maybe threatening my own life that I was put on suicide watch which means they put you in like a, a full body schmock, naked and then they put me in this little cell right off from the main booking room it's glass so they can see me and i remember i went in and sat down and them telling me that i kind of bent over looked through the doorway at the sheriff's department before they closed the door said to the sheriff's deputies thank you for having me if there's anything else i can do just please reach out to my publicist of course i don't remember saying any of these things but this is what i was told and it makes perfect sense I found out later when I saw like the diagnoses when I was discharged (laughs) before taking me that night, like one of the main diagnoses was, was narcissistic personality disorder. So some of the things that I must've been saying, like how fucking important I am, I'm a fucking narcissist. It was all about me. And this was flat out. Next thing I remember, I wake up and it's three days later. I've been arraigned. I've stood in front of a judge, said not guilty. I've been on every sports center, every news outlet, every newspaper that you can imagine. Number two overall draft bust in the NFL, arrested for the second time in 48 hours. The bigger story started coming out about being in somebody else's home, burglarizing people, victimizing my community, tormenting the public, all of these things over the last three days that I was completely unaware of because I was so loaded up with pills the fact that I didn't die or overdose I don't know I don't I have no idea how that didn't happen for the amount of medication I put into my body the night I was arrested I have to be told everything about what has transpired I'm in a I'm naked in a schmock all of these things and now I'm going through the process of being incarcerated for the first time in my life and the fear sets in like nobody's business. A, the fear already existed because I didn't have the medication, but now there was no way for me to comfort that fear. The only thing I thought about from that point on was like, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? Mom and dad, you gotta bail me out. Well, during those three days, the initial bail bondsman that I used rescinded my bail. Texas has now got involved. Texas has put out three fugitive warrants for me because I was on probation in that state. They want to extradite me now and sentence me down there for the stuff that exists there. So now it's just I mean, if you can fuck something up when something's already really fucked up and do it worse I'm your guy, you know put me on speed dial like if you want chaos and you want shit to explode in the worst possible way holler at your boy that's what it was And ultimately that would begin my incarceration. There would be little increments of some freedom down the line. But that day would signal many different landmarks for me in terms of time, right? It would start the sentence of my incarceration for the next 32 months. It would also represent the last time I would ever put a substance in my body.